Next up, Daniel Murphy, Director of Marketing at Privy. Privy is taking a stand for small e-commerce businesses, helping them grow from zero to one million in sales. Daniel, tell me about Privy. So Privy is an email marketing platform for small e-commerce businesses. The company's been around for maybe about a decade now, believe it or not, but really found its fit when the team launched in the Shopify app store, I think about four years ago, maybe five years ago, just when e-commerce and Shopify were really taking off. In fact, now Privy is the number one reviewed app in the Shopify app store with over 25,000 reviews. And yeah, we serve small e-commerce businesses. There's almost 600,000. I can give you all the stats, but we almost 600,000 stores that have installed Privy on their site, not just Shopify. We're also on BigCommerce, Wix, and several other platforms. But a huge piece of our business is with Shopify users. And they've now generated over, I think it's just over $6 billion in sales using Privy for pop-ups, email marketing, text messaging, a big time of year is Black Friday, Cyber Monday, when there's a lot of campaigns that are running. We basically help our customers with a whole suite of e-commerce marketing tools. On your website, you say it's an email marketing platform. And if we go to G2, there are hundreds of companies in that space. So how competitive is this? Yeah, it's a very competitive space, especially I would say the last two years. I've now been in e-commerce about 18 months. I joined right before the pandemic in January of 2020, but the space is incredibly competitive and every single day there are new apps coming in. For instance, if I just focus on Shopify, which is a huge focus for us, there is I think 5,000 different apps in the Shopify app store. There's probably thousands that are in the marketing space alone, right? From all different types of apps, from cross-selling to email, to text messaging, to a wide range of other things, pop-ups, conversion, free shipping bar. It's an incredibly competitive space. And then there's some bigger players also, some highly, there's smaller apps who are just people all around the world who are building. And then there are some bigger players. One of the most competitive pieces of the whole e-commerce marketing landscape right now, if we were to zoom in a little bit more, is SMS, right? There's tons of big players for SMS for e-commerce. It's an incredibly competitive space. We are lucky that we got in at a good time and we happened to connect with Shopify users at the right time so that we ended up building a product that really fit with them. And that's why we have so many reviews. 18,000 of our 25,000 are five-star reviews. And we're pretty lucky to have gotten in the right time and built for the right type of customer. Broadly speaking, in a very competitive category, such as email marketing, you compete on three things, either innovation or being objectively better at doing things that are like can't do, or you just outmarket everybody, you spend more money, kind of like Monday.com style, or you take a fundamentally differentiated position in the market. And when I look at your homepage copy, it's very specific. It says email marketing platform for Shopify and Wix stores that need the tools and coaching to grow from zero to $1 million in sales. So it sounds to me that you guys are really competing on differentiated positioning. That's correct. Yeah. So if we look at a couple different categories, so email marketing, massive, one of the biggest, obviously, in marketing, email marketing is not going anywhere. That's a massive category. If we even zoom into one segment of that e-commerce email marketing, right, that's also an extremely competitive. Like Clavio is 4 billion. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's numerous others as those like Drip, which has been around for almost a decade, I think now, and they're also in e-commerce. Omnisend, there's MailChimp, right? There's plenty of competitors in that space. We have absolutely zoomed in and in particular over the last 18 months while I've been working, we've really zoomed in on our area and we feel 
very strongly that we are the best option for small e-commerce businesses that are really in that phase of trying to go from zero to a million in sales. And the nice thing about what we've been able to do is we've been able to get not just the marketing message, not just that homepage copy and what you might see in an advertisement for Privy, but the entire company, the product team, the customer success team, our sales team, all built around this mission of we are helping small e-commerce businesses that want to grow from zero to a million in sales. We like to talk about our, in our strategic narrative, our goal is to help you build a thriving e-commerce business, right? We imagine a lot of our customers have a day job, a nine to five type day job. Maybe they're working for a big corporation. Maybe they're working for a startup, whatever. But they have these small e-commerce businesses. And look, in 2020, this has only grown more since the pandemic pandemic started and Shopify actually I think has a lot of these stats. There are more people that are starting side businesses that left jobs and deciding to go out on their own and build their own e-commerce business. And our mission is to build you the suite of tools in the coaching, as we can talk about in a second, to grow from zero to a million, to really get to that million dollar sales mark, which is really, okay, I'm building, I have a thriving business. I can go all in on this business. I can support myself with this business. That's ultimately our mission. A lot of companies have trouble saying no to a portion of the market. Heaven forbid, what if somebody wants to give us money and then we deter them without messaging? You guys are highly specific. So tell me, was it difficult internally to land on that sort of specificity or were you guys all aligned? How did this come to be? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, yes, it was difficult. It's difficult when you have larger accounts and they churn, they part ways because your product team isn't investing in some integration with some data platform that they need, or they're not investing in some advanced targeting or advanced contact management, whatever it be. Some of these features that a more sophisticated client, really it's our customers are small business owners. They're not marketers. So as soon as we have like a marketing team or like a marketing ops teams asking for advanced stuff, that's probably a signal that they're probably not the right fit for us. And so it does absolutely hurt. It does absolutely, it is a, a painful experience. And we've gone through it in the last 18 months of, hey, we're investing in small e-commerce businesses, these bigger 10, 20 million businesses not the right fit for us, right? In terms of what we can offer. So it is difficult, but I would say we have been laser focused for the last 18 months. I'm incredibly proud of the team, not just the marketing team, but the product team, customer success and others for saying, hey, this is where we're gonna focus. This is where we're gonna play. And we've been pretty consistent and it is painful and we're not through it. We're not, oh, we're at the other side of it and we're seeing amazing results. We're growing, we're doing well, but it's still a painful experience to go through that and try to make a decision of this is the audience that actually doesn't work for us. So in your messaging, targeted messaging is like Shopify and Wix stores, zero to one million. And so by now being so clear about whom you serve, what are some of the advantages? Like it's clear that you have to say no to a certain portion of the money out there. But what are some of the direct benefits of being so laser focused? Well, yeah, certainly when it comes to our competitors and repositioning our competitors for us, certainly it puts us at an advantage to say, hey, if you are in this ICP, if you are a small, for instance, Shopify store and you're at a hundred million or a hundred thousand in sales and you need to grow with, you need email automation, you need ways to convert people, grow an email list. You need to do some basic SMS to be able to engage your best customers, get them to buy again. We have a much stronger, much more compelling story because top to 
the bottom, we can not just give them the tools, but we can also supply them with the coaching. We offer onboarding for our customers that are spending more than $30 a month with us, right? I mean, that's unheard of with almost any email marketing platform, even regardless of e-commerce. MailChimp's not doing that. You can barely talk to a human at MailChimp. So it gives us a much more compelling story to tell to our customers. What also helps us with stuff like examples and best practices. Like our sales team is incredibly technical because our product isn't incredibly technical, but our sales team is in terms of understanding our product and connecting what it actually does with our customers. We have the examples, we have the best practices. We know what it's like to be a $100,000 a year Shopify store and trying to grow because we've worked with thousands of them before. And so it has helped us narrow our focus and our story and tell a much more compelling story and make our customers more successful because we're putting all of our chips behind this one this one group, this one audience. So when you're all about serving the small business, so an example being that you also offer these coaching sessions over a certain amount, what is the game plan there? How are you going to make money on that? Because like 30 bucks a month is not very much. And if all of that goes to a coaching, plus you have all kinds of costs. So is that like a bet on the LTV or what's the play there? Yeah, absolutely. It's a bet on the LTV. It's a, we know, for instance, I don't have the data in front of me at this moment, but we know and we've been hammered with, hey, customers that go through onboarding, we retain them way better. I mean, this is true for any SaaS business, right? But if we can get them through onboarding, we're going to retain them a lot longer. So it is a worthwhile bet, for instance, with onboarding. And, you know, we also have a massive funnel. We have a huge amount of people coming in, trying our product for 15 days, a trial every single month, thousands upon thousands every month. So we have a massive funnel already. So we have the people converting them to a paid plan we've really focused on what are the different elements it's product it's coaching right are the two biggest and it's experience right how are we bringing them in and then actually the fourth one really should be pricing maybe you put that under experience but really it's pricing we spent the last 18 months really heavily investing in those four areas to make sure that we have a compelling offer to a very wide amount of people we have like i said we got in early with the shopify app store we're lucky for that but we also spent a lot of time understanding that audience and making sure that we're building for them and so now we do have a massive funnel coming in from Shopify every single month where we're near the top of almost every marketing category in the Shopify app store. So we see tons of traffic, tons of trials, and we've become much more proficient at convincing that audience that, hey, we are the best option for you. And our pricing right now, for instance, starts at $15 a month for email and list growth, which we call conversion. And that does what four or five different apps that each cost you $10 a month in the app store does, right? So there's plenty of advantage. We're going to continue to invest in those different use cases and, and everything. Email automation plus conversion on your website, those two things together, $15 a month for your first 250 contacts. We've made that bet and said, this is where we can play. This is where we can win. And so far it's been very successful. There is an opinion out there that in order to really win and grab market share, you need to be objectively better for a particular slice of the market. And it sounds like through this specificity and by saying no to somebody, you can say a stronger yes, and maybe you can't outbuild some of the bigger tools in the market, but you can tailor the experience better for this market that you're at. So would you say that you are like an objectively better option for, for those small businesses? Yeah, I would certainly say so. I would say, as I was kind of alluding to before, maybe I didn't get specific enough. For instance, we actually have a very compelling all-in-one story. And there's a couple of reasons you want an all-in-one. You want one Shopify app instead of 10, right? So like right now, I would say it's 10, maybe it's 11 or 12. We basically can do what 11 or 12 different Shopify apps would do for you. 
What we do is we do it with one install on your site. So you only have one, for instance, one script loading on your site. Shopify stores, every Shopify store knows you struggle when you install too many apps because you suddenly have 10 or 12 different scripts. So from a page speed perspective, we're faster. It's bundled into a cheaper plan. Each of those apps probably costs at least $10 a month. So you can save a lot of money to do it that way. And also these small business owners, they don't want 10 different apps to log into. They don't want to go and have 10 different bills to pay, 10 different logins, 10 different passwords. What they want is they want to have one place to manage their marketing for their site, for their email. And many of them, as we're seeing SMS, right? That's a huge, very fast growing use case for us. They want to have one place to go in and do those things. And so just by that alone, I would say we've told that story in ads. We've told that story in sales conversations. That is a very compelling story. And I think a lot of people say you are better for that. I can do everything in one place that I want to do. And also, you know, it doesn't have all these bells and whistles that other email marketing platforms have, for instance, where you can get lost in the weeds. We have very simple use cases, right? Like you don't build an automation flow from scratch in Privy, we have those all pre-built and then you plug in, you write your emails, you hit go, you're live, right? It's a different type of experience. So from those, from an experience standpoint, from a investing in your ICP standpoint, I would say we are definitely objectively better. How do you guys make sure that you're telling the same story across all the channels? So you have your content engine, then you have, by content, I mean, you have maybe your blog, your social media, then you have your paid ads, then you have your website copy. And so probably these are different people owning different channels, if you will. So how do you make sure that the story is the same and also sales calls and all that? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is repetition and it's repetition telling that story internally. So like when we've revamped our positioning strategy recently this year, that was something that I worked on. I probably presented it to five or six different groups within the company and we continue to harp on it in the marketing team in particular because there's so many outputs for marketing. We continue to harp on it, review it and tell that story numerous times. So I said, I would share a video. Here's me going through it. I would get in front of the company and do it. I would do it in a small group setting, right? It's repetition is the number one first way of making sure that there's consistency across all those channels. The second way is, well, before even repetition is having a really good team, right? And having a good team that can pick up a, hey, this is the new strategy. We're all getting behind it. We're all going to do it. We're lucky, I think, in that we're seven people on the marketing team. So it's not like there's so many different pockets. When you get to like 30 or 40, which is where Drift was when I left, it was most of my time was working on story and making consistency between. So when you get to that big, it is more difficult and it requires a lot more effort. I'd also say it's having a clear strategy. It's having, this is where we live. And I think that's the first thing that a lot of companies who might be struggling with their positioning strategy don't have is they haven't made those decisions. This is where we're going to play. This is who we serve. This is who we compete against. This is how we position against those competitors. I don't think enough from my conversations, I don't think enough marketing teams are investing on here's our super clear strategy. And just even if it's, we go through that a couple times a year, I, I don't know that enough people are doing that, right? And so it's repetition. It's having that clear strategy. It's working with a great team. For us, we have an advantage in that we're small, but in doing those things, that's how we've added that clarity to our positioning strategy. So a couple of follow-up questions to this. So A, where does this strategy and this messaging thing live? Is there like a document? Is it like in your task management somewhere? And two, how do you tell that story? Do you schedule time to tell the story or how does the storytelling inside the company happen? Absolutely. So to the first question where it lives, yeah, the primary tangible thing is a slide deck and that's our strategic narrative. Right. So we have a deck. It's our narrative. The way we communicate a lot internally is through like Drift Video, for instance, or you could do something like Loom where you record yourself presenting something. So we do this positioning overhaul. Let me start at the beginning. We do this positioning overhaul. We use April Dunford's framework from her book, obviously awesome. It was the first time I got to use the positioning framework. It was very helpful. 
the first iteration of that was a Google Doc. It was like a table. It was answering. She had this 10-step process. It was answering every question, listing every competitor out. It was this giant table of features and benefits and solutions. And then it was a bunch. And then I took that and I shared that with our CEO and my boss, the CMO. And we worked on it. It was a working doc. Here's what we're working on. Here's our positioning strategy. Here's where we live. It's basically this several day process that she outlines. So it starts as a Google doc. And then that needs to form into something presentable. You can't present a Google doc. It's not very compelling, right? And so what we did is what everybody does. You create slides, created a deck. Here's our story. Here's our strategic narrative. Here's where we're going to focus. From there, that deck has been sort of the principal element of our position. It's the principal object within it. And then I've taken that and I've recorded videos to myself and sent it off to different team members, VP of sales, VP of product. And then I went to executive team meetings. Hey, everybody, this is our strategy. This is what we're doing. Here's what we're trying to focus on. Hey, I want everyone to think about how this is going to impact product or impact sales or what changes we need to make. And then we presented that to the company. So we went to company show and tell meeting every Friday, like a lot of companies do. I presented that to the whole company. Here's our strategy. Went to the sales team. Hey, here's our new sales deck based on this. So it's just like that repetition of, oh, I saw that the company meeting. Now Dan's presenting this in front of the weekly sales meeting. Oh, and now Dan's in front of the the executives, first of all, who need to have the most interface with this strategy. They've gotten a private, probably one-on-one call with me, the VP of product or sales. We talked through it. I present it in front of the executive team, right? That's the second interface with it. The third is now I present in front of the company. They've seen this for a third time. And then the fourth is I'm probably presenting to the sales team or might be presenting to the product managers. So now the executives who are the owners of the positioning strategy, right? In terms of, well, I don't want to use owners, who are the primary stakeholders in the positioning strategy. They've now seen it four times in the course of a week and a half. They know how serious this is. They know how real this is. They know how focused we are on this. And now they're making decisions based off of it. On top of that, it's coupled with the CEO saying, okay, I believe in this. This is what we're doing. We have to focus on this. Hey, what changes is, what metrics do we have to change in our funnel? What, what do we change in our product roadmap? How do we change our sales? Like his being bought into it and focus on it also was a huge part of us being successful with it. But that's sort of the top to bottom, how we go about it. Now, the next question is like, where does it live now, right? It's been a couple months, like how do people access it? That's kind of, I think, a little bit of the missing piece of like, not that I don't think each week someone's like, ah, what's our positioning strategy again? I don't know. Like they know the core tenants of it, right? And they kind of have that and can use it. But I think really it's the product marketer's job. And we're actually between product marketers. I have someone joining in two weeks, but my last product marketer left a month ago. It's really their job to make sure they're running around and making sure, all right, I have this map. This is our compass map, whatever you want to call it. Let's make sure every team that I'm touching in product marketing, which is sales, product, CS, and marketing, let's make sure that this is being delivered and worked with each of those teams. And we're not getting away from this ethos. This is what we are. This is who we serve. So that's a really long answer to our process and how we've done our positioning strategy. Very instructive to hear how this is being handled. Um, to follow up here, so in your communication, external communication, so your website, ads, etc., emails, how do you balance your strategic narrative and why you and all that, basically things that are unique about you versus like direct response things where you talk about, let's say, features that everybody has. Oh, you can send emails and abandoned cart stuff and then pop-ups and you make more money. So like this, like things that most everybody can say in your market versus things that make people choose you over others. How do you balance those things? Yeah, well, I'll preface this and say like, I don't know that I have a good framework for balancing those two things. 
I can tell you how we do it, but I don't know that I have the best balance and I don't know how I define a really good balance of those things. Of course, they're both important. And I think in the marketing we did at Drift and the marketing that, that we're doing here at Privy, it's both. I mean, it's just the simplest answer is it's both and you have to try both and you have to try different tactics. Something we just did recently is we launched the Shopify store grader. And it's very similar if you ever heard of website store grader by HubSpot, which they did probably a decade, maybe a decade and a half ago. It's pretty old. It's a very same concept. In fact, if you look at the two, you'll notice they look very similar. That was our inspiration for this. There isn't anything out there today where you can plug in your Shopify store and just get a grade of like what's missing, what do you need to do? And so we built that. And now that has nothing to do with small e-commerce, right? It has everything to do with Shopify, of course, the platform, but it doesn't speak specifically to email marketing. It doesn't speak specifically to conversion. I mean, it's a big piece of it, but it doesn't really talk about a lot of those things, right? And so in doing that type of marketing, that's what we'd probably bucket it like brand marketing. It's awareness play, right? It's certainly an awareness play, but also it's leads. We can capture and actually get data on who people are. And we've had a thousand or so people go through it in last week, which was great. But those are the kinds of things that you just kind of balance. You say like, hey, we can focus on this like fine positioning and we know what this looks like and our ads can look like this, but now we're going to go do stuff like, hey, store grader, we're going to advertise that. It's a different channel. It's a different type of lead. We don't even know what that lead is going to look like? Are they really ready for a product? I don't know yet, right? Like, do they want a trial? I don't know. Do they even give a crap what, what Privy is? I don't really know. But like, I only bring that up as like, it's always both. It's always both in kind of finding some sort of balance of trying enough stuff. The ultimate thing is with marketing, right? It's like just trying enough stuff fast enough to figure out what's going to stick, what isn't. If we were really going to be successful with features and benefits, and I think for the first two years while Privy was on Shopify, that's really what they marketed on. Hey, these are our features. These are our benefits. If they were really going to do that, at the point of when we joined in January 2020, it just no longer was a working model. It got us so far, but it wasn't going to help us differentiate when the market got super crowded and it became a very competitive space to be in the Shopify app store. And so we kind of had to shift over to this. Here's who we serve. Here's our story. Focus on the strategic narrative. But I think the best answer in some ways is just like, you got to try both. And I don't know what that balance looks like. I'm definitely not an expert on that, but I think it's also different phases of the funnel and trying things. And so ultimately what we have in our marketing today is like, we talk about the problem. We talk about who we serve. We're very specific in that and sort of all of our marketing across everything. And then it's really when it comes to our nurture and our sales, right? Because half our business is self-serve. The other half is sales focused, is getting them to help tell the rest of that story and the features and the benefits and how you actually plug it all in. Because once someone's attracted to a brand and they understand they solve this problem, we're going to help you grow sales from zero to a million. And then you get investing and you realize, wow, all these features. Okay, this actually does. I get what this does. I know that how this is going to happen. That's the like beauty of great marketing to me. And so I don't think we're quite there. We have that 100% yet, but we're certainly on track and I'm really excited about it. A lot of companies are afraid of change to change what they say about themselves as people. How many years we've been this and now we're going to be that. So Privy used to be just about pop-ups and now it's way more things. And part of it is, of course, natural evolution as a company grows and evolves. And how has that changed in your messaging and have you been doing deliberate things to change people's mind about what Privy is about today versus yesterday? Yeah, absolutely. So we have definitely in the last 18 months moved a lot away from Privy equals pop-ups, right? Like that's what, like when you think of a word describe a business 
drift is chat, right? It for or at least in 2017. And then now it's something probably different. Maybe it's revenue acceleration, maybe something else. Privy equals pop-ups is 2019. That's when there was a big jump in the Shopify business. And I think what we want to get to is Privy equals growth. Privy equals helped me grow my business. And more and more people are building e-commerce. So it becomes more associated with growing my side business. And I think the other part of it too, is like we were picking up all the signals from our customers, right? We started like this little baby email product. And suddenly we saw a ton of usage. Suddenly we saw a ton of people moving over and it was like, okay, clearly we need to invest here and we need to kind of build this out. And so we've done that and we relaunched it last summer and since we continue to grow. And then we decided to do a bundle and put everything together. It's definitely been a lot of signals from the customers. And that's where we're making some of our most important decisions about where we're going to build and what types of features, how far we're going to go. What does someone really need if they're growing from zero to a million in sales? And I think I'm going way off topic from your, from your original question here. But I think just in terms of that strategy and making that decision, it was a lot of what the market was indicating for us. And then what we saw is the big opportunity, right? Like I was talking to Chrissy Roach from Airtable and she runs product marketing for their self-serve business. And she was talking to me about this positioning sprint she was in. And she was like, well, I start by interviewing our executives and our investors. And I was like, wait, hold on. Why are you starting with them? Like, shouldn't you be the first person you for positioning strategy, you talk to a customer. What does the customer want? And she's like, no, no, that matters. That's second. The first thing I got to do is get some guardrails from our executive team and our investors of like, where are we headed? What is our strategic vision? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Right? That's where it starts. And so, of course, for us, it was also, hey, we see this as building out more suites of tools, SMS and email as a big opportunity for us. And there's a gap in the market. But then it was also coupled with there was a lot of signals from our customers. Hey, we want to use you for this. We want to use more email. Hey, can you build out this feature for email? Can you build out that feature? And then we started just investing more in those areas. And here we are today. And we have, I think, I want to say seven or 8,000 customers using email, which is great great. And that's all paid, right? I mean, those are not, we don't have a free version of our, you can send a couple emails a day in a free version, but those are all paid customers. And that's with basically just less than 12 months of marketing around us being an email platform. I think April in her book said, or maybe she said it somewhere else, that if you're under 10 million a year, and Privy, I think is bigger, it's like when you change what your company is about, nobody will notice. So like you shouldn't worry about changing positioning. Were you guys worried about changing your positioning? Yes, because we were bigger and we had been in the market for a while and we were really known. And I think there's still like, still worry. Like the story's not over on Privy. Sure. We're still very much in this positioning strategy shift. We're not just like, you don't just change your website, your homepage and say your e-commerce marketing or your email marketing. And suddenly everyone's like, oh, the, the email marketing, e-commerce marketing guys, that's Privy, right? Like that just doesn't happen. It'd be great. Product marketing wouldn't be nearly as fun if that was true, but that's not what happened. So yes, definitely we were scared and I'm not scared, but we were definitely a little worried about how this would be perceived. But the thing is, we weren't stepping away from our bread and butter of conversion and pop-ups. We weren't like, oh, we're sunsetting this. and You're not going to be able to use this anymore. We were pairing it with what people really wanted, what every signal was coming to us. So absolutely, I think positioning, like a good framework to think about like positioning and how frequent to change it. Like your positioning really shouldn't change year to year. It really should be a couple of years of like, okay, this is where we're focused. If it's changing every year or every quarter, you probably have a problem, right? It's probably you're changing too much that like you're saying, too many signals out there that you're really not going to click with any group of people and actually see that success. And it just doesn't work that way. Messaging might change year to year, though. Your messaging probably once a year needs an audit. It needs a refresh or at least let's go through the motion. Let's figure out what's happening. Are we sending the right messaging out there? Are we empowering the rest of the team with the right messaging that's going to help us win? And then your copy, that's what changes every single campaign, right? That's going to be different. So like positioning, messaging, copy. Positioning is a, let's call it 
two to three year journey. Messaging is a year to year. You might make updates to it. Copy is going to change every campaign that you're creating usually. Awesome. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me.